Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode number 178 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always, and we're back again with another great guest for you on the show today. Now, we've had five players on the show so far this season, none of whom are likely to land in round one, but tonight's guest has a legitimate shot at the top 32 and maybe even higher. For what it's worth, the highest draft pick we've interviewed on the show was Ezra Cleveland, who went 58th overall to the Vikings last April. But enough about our podcast history and on to tonight's guest, which is Zaven Collins, the linebacker from Tulsa, who Tony mocked in his top 20 in his first mock draft of the offseason. We'll talk to Zaven about how he ended up at Tulsa, his breakout 2020 campaign, and his decision to enter the 2021 NFL draft. Tony, is this the most excited you've been for an interview in the couple of years we've been doing them? Yeah, I mean, Collins has been a guy that, you know, was good at Tulsa the past couple of years. Uh, We wrote about him and we talked about him throughout the season. And I have a feeling that when people listen to Zayvon Collins talk, they're going to be as impressed with him off the field as with his play on the field and the highlights that we have seen and just his consistent play uh, that he produced pretty much the past three years, but more so in the during the 2020 season. I'll get to this week's show. In just a minute, but first, a word from our sponsor. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NBA is in full swing, and college basketball heats up as schools make their way to the madness. The tournament is coming, and so is the 100,000 Bracket Madness Contest, as Bet Online is the spot to be for all your bracketology needs. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. And people apparently took your advice last week, Tony, as Najee Harris's odds are now almost dead even with Travis Etienne's to be the first running back taken in April. Well, I'll tell you, I, I've not placed a bet, but then again, as we are taping this podcast, Travis Etienne ran in the 4-4s today during Pro Day, so I think that's going to boost his draft stock. Regardless, head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now it's our pleasure to welcome onto today's show, linebacker Zavin Collins from Tulsa. This year's NCAA Defensive Player of the Year won the Bronco Nagurski Trophy, the Chuck Bagneric Award, and the Lombardi Award, but possibly his greatest accomplishment was agreeing to this interview with me and Tony. All kidding aside, though, Zavin, welcome to the Draft Analyst, and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad to be here and, uh, you know, good to meet with you guys. Zavin, this is Tony Pauline. It's an absolute pleasure. I mean, we've, watched, we've enjoyed watching you the past three years, watching you send up draft boards. So we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your, your playing days at Tulsa, Tulsa what you're doing now, and you know, what you expect to have move, moving forward. Awesome. Yeah, it's great meeting you, Tony. So uh, you went to Hominy High School in Oklahoma. Now, I looked up Hominy, and Hominy's sort of like in the middle of nowhere in Tulsa. The, in, I'm sorry, in Oklahoma. Ain't too much around there. I also said that your, your favorite sport other than football was golf. 
Did you play any other sports than uh, or sports other than football in high school? Yeah, you know, growing up in Hominy is such a small town that, that you played everything because, you know, honestly, people needed you to play other sports to have uh, participants. And then also just out of the fun of it, there's nothing else to do. So um, we got to play a lot of those, a lot of those sports, um, you know, with everyone who played all the other sports. Uh, the golf course was about 10 minutes away growing up. So we got to do that a lot as well. Are you, do you still play golf consistently? Yeah, we try to. I try to play at least once a week while training. We get, you know, a Sunday off. So, and, you know, Saturday, Saturday afternoons off. So I try to play at least one of those days on the weekend. What's your, What's handicap? your handicap? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So my handicap, um, whenever at the height of my handicap, it was probably around a 12. So I was shooting, you know, 84s consistently at every course. And then that's like a true 12, you know, playing the right way. You know, no, no breakfast balls, no, no, no gimmies, no stuff, nothing like that. So um, we were, we were playing about four times a week in, uh, in college um, in the off season. My handicap is I can't hit the ball straight. <laughs> Same. Yeah, that's definitely, there are definitely some growing pains with golf. And I think that's why I loved it so much. Now, moving on from golf to football. Your recruitment was pretty light, which in hindsight, obviously a huge oversight by uh, by most Division One colleges. Were there any other schools interested in you besides Tulsa? And were there any besides Tulsa that you were interested in? Yeah, you know, there, growing up, I'd always been an OU fan, Oklahoma Sooners. And uh, OSU, I knew, was always, you know, an option as well to play. So at a probably freshman in high school I had you know my top four schools I wanted to play at all division one big 12 schools um which was like OU OSU I think um KU was in there and then also something like Baylor um but you know going and growing and playing I knew that real and I realized soon that college uh, colleges were going to look over me just because of the size of school I went to and you know the competition I was playing so I had to you know go to all these camps try extra hard and just never got those uh, power five offers was lucky enough to get an offer from Tulsa. And it was awesome. And uh, I love it. There. I wouldn't change the world. I wouldn't change, you know, anything um, different than what I'd done and the decision I made, no matter what offers I had. Now at how many high school you played three positions, you were a linebacker, a safety and quarterback. Did you go to Tulsa as a linebacker immediately or were you tried at other positions? Uh, I went to Tulsa immediately as a linebacker. So the decision to put you at linebacker was was really set from the get go. I should I should say. Yeah, it was. They knew I was going to probably get a little bit too big to be a, a safety, um, and I also wanted to play linebacker as well. That's what I told them. So I actually signed, you know, on paper as an athlete, position wise, um, which basically means they can put you anywhere, um, which is basically what they did in uh, college. When you played quarterback at how many high school? Was it purely a running offense or did you throw the ball a lot? We threw the ball some, um, but majority of the time we were running the ball. Um, it was probably, you know, 70-30 um, run, pass. So uh, there was a lot of downhill running and uh, just, a, you know, just mashing people in the face. Now, you mentioned, obviously, you know, that Tulsa thought you were going to be a little too big for safety. Looking at that recruiting profile of yours, listed you at 220 pounds. Now you're listed at 260 pounds. And I mean, obviously that is a pretty big jump. Uh, you mentioned to us off air that you're about 6'5". So obviously you had some room to grow in your frame. So are you truly a legitimate 
260 now? And, and if you are, how were you able to put on 40 pounds in four years and maintain all of your speed and explosion? Yeah, I'm legitimately 260. I weigh, my weight fluctuating, uh, fluctuates anyway, anywhere between the ranges of 258 and 263. And, you know, coming out of high school being, you know, close to 220, I was never in a weight program in high school. You got to think we were in Hominy, Oklahoma. There was nothing. There wasn't, you know, no protein or no, you know, athletic trainers. Everything was done by the coaches. So they had to take care of, you know, basically middle school through 12th grade and had to do everything for them. So it was a lot of hassle. So I tried to do some of the stuff on my own, but I just didn't know what I was doing. So when I got, you know, whenever the weight, um, the weight, the strength coaches and the nutritionists that's also got their hands on me. I just kind of exploded. I was still growing at the time. Um, went from 220 to like 240 that red shirt year and red shirt freshman year. Played it about 250 to 255 at the end of my red shirt freshman year. And then red shirt sophomore year and junior year, I played it anywhere between 260, uh, 258 and 263. Um, all with the body fat percentage being under or right at 14%. I'm at a body fat percentage now. At about 11% at uh, 65263. Speaking of redshirt freshman year at Tulsa, you guys go three and nine as a team. A year later, you're four and eight. All of a sudden, you turn it around this year. You're six and three in the COVID year. You're playing for a, a conference title championship uh, against Cincinnati. What would you attribute that quick change, really, from two significantly losing seasons to a, a team that's playing for a conference championship? What was the reason for such a quick turnabout? Yeah, we knew that in the past. So we had lost a lot of games by, you know, by a field goal, a touchdown, a stupid mistake. So we knew going into this season that we just had to eliminate those stupid stuff and just put a game together and not freak out when it come down to the wire. Just keep pressing the gas, keep doing whatever, whatever it takes to win. So uh, at this at the end of this year, you know, we weren't even worried about the score because we we're like we've already had years in the past where we lost this game. Let's just keep pressing. So you know, Tulane game, SMU game. Uh, there's a lot of games that we had in there. Um, the only game that I felt like we gave up, and we, we didn't give up, but we just ended up losing in the second half, um, was OSU. We were up on them at halftime. We were up on them the majority of the game. They come back, score a touchdown, and then end up getting two field goals. Um, so we held them. It's just, you know, getting all cylinders to click at the same time is probably the hardest part of football, you know. And uh, once you figure that out, you become a winning team. They mentioned that opening loss to OSU. Obviously, the rest of the season, you guys, was very smooth sailing for you. For you, was playing against a passing offense like the Cowboys a big adjustment? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a big adjustment for me. I do. I mean, I'm well. I'm pretty good in coverage. Uh, set the PFF grade in coverage um, at like a 90 something. So I'm, I'm pretty good in coverage and it doesn't really bother me playing in the open field. Uh, obviously, you know, I did pretty good that game. I think I had like three sacks and, uh, you know, seven tackles and a couple tackles for a loss. But the bad part was I only got to play half the game. I wish I could have played the whole game. So I was pretty upset at, by the end of the game of, you know, not being able to play the whole thing. You started all but two games for Tulsa the past three years. Obviously, you made a big impact. Second on the team in tackles in 2018 and 2019 before this year. Once you were past that redshirt season, I know you mentioned the weight gain. Were there any other reasons that you were able to make such a quick impact? Yeah, I, um, I knew the offense, or not the offense, but the defense, you know, like the back of my hand. And I was always asking questions, remembering plays. 
um, I was always the type of guy that could remember a play and, um, you know, be able to come off the field and say, this is what happened. You know, this guy pulled, this guy done this. So um, I was pretty fortunate to be able to do that and remember plays, most of the plays throughout a drive. And uh, that helped me. Uh, it helped me pick up on cues, tendencies of offenses, and just kind of set myself up and gamble a little bit on some plays and, you know, win. You know, you had a big freshman season, big sophomore campaign. And as you told us, you know, uh, Tulsa really started to learn how to win. You moved towards spring football of 2020, and all of a sudden, COVID hits. COVID hits the nation. COVID hits the world. COVID affects a lot of different aspects. What was spring like for you? How different was spring of 2020 for you as a football player on the Tulsa football team? Well, we didn't. We didn't have no. We didn't have nothing. Everything was shut down. We'd went on our spring break trip and whenever we got back they told us you know there's no no practice no workouts um all school will be online from now on and basically school just shut down and you know you kind of just finished up you got pretty much everyone got good grades and then because no one knew what was going to happen and uh so they kind of sent everyone home and us guys that stayed in our house we kind of just basically just golfed um every day worked out and uh, did a little throwing and training in the backyard as far as football-wise. But uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we were going to have a season. We thought it was going to be two weeks long, and we we're going to come back in May and be fine. And we're sitting there at the you know beginning of July, and uh, we still haven't done anything. So we definitely were a little nervous there. Now, was that kind of a time, was it July or maybe a bit later on, where there was like legitimate concern that the conference was going to cancel your season? Yeah, there was a legitimate concern. My two legitimate concerns was, is our is our conference going to be canceled? And two, since we're not being able to work out, get our bodies to prepare, if we just jump straight into this, how many people are going to get injured? You know, that was my main concern, you know, for the guys that, you know, maybe that didn't take care of their bodies very well or didn't have, the you know, the, the means necessary to, like, to be able to. Because, um, you know, you got to go back home and everything's shut down. So if you don't have a you know, a, a gym in your house, you can't, you can't work out. Maybe if you didn't have the money to go and buy some supplies to work out, you can't work out. Um, so you got to think about that whenever you go back home for months and guys are on their own again, you know, you go back to doing world war two workouts where you're doing push-ups, jumping jacks and sit-ups and you got to become off of that. You got to become a division one, you know, body. So that's pretty hard. And, um, so I felt for a lot of guys whenever they had to come back, we had to, we had to train hard to get where we were at. You mentioned about the concern for some of your teammates not being not coming in in proper uh, condition because of the layoff. Looking at it from your own perspective, was there any thought process uh, from Zayvon Collins about potentially opting out of the season because of all the mayhem and, and the lack of training that was going or the lack, lack of top flight training, I should say, that you were able to take par participate in? No, I never thought about opting out. Um, I knew I knew what I had to do and the goals I wanted. And, you know, I made this plan in my head. I see all these people opting out, you know, division two, most NAIAs and smaller schools. So they're, therefore, you know, you cut all the games that people watch in half. Um, and we're still holding on. Uh, the big 10 was canceled. Um, I think the, the PAC 12 was canceled and some other ones. So all these big conferences are on where we're canceling and we're still on. 
And it kind of, a, a light bulb clicked in my head, like, wow, we're going to be on the main stage for a lot of these people. And, you know, that's, that was the case. Um, so I didn't want to opt out. I knew that I was going to be, uh, our whole team was going to be under the spotlight. And uh, we just had to go out there and perform. And we did. And it put a, a lot of our guys on the map, thank God. And I think it was the right decision for all of us to, you know, stay and play. Yeah, earlier Chris talked about the uh, the early game of the season against OSU in a passing offense. For three years, you've played against a similar sort of explosive offense uh, in Central Florida. Did you find a lot of similarities between the Central Florida offense and the one you played against Oklahoma State? And what was it like playing against an offense like Central Florida, which, you know, basically it's, it's snap after snap. They, they literally don't take a break. Yeah, the – the difference between Central Florida and Oklahoma State is is merely their tempo. Um, Oklahoma State doesn't go nearly as fast as uh, as UCF. Um, Oklahoma State, I felt like they're just a normal normal offense and normal tempo tempo game. Nothing was slow like Navy would be, where they huddle each time. But you know, and then you get to UCF, and man, you do you do a play, and you're getting off the ground, and you're looking up, and bam. They're, they're running again. Um, that's a fast game. So you definitely got to get behind, get them behind the chains early and often. So that's, that's merely the difference is just their tempo. I'd say, you know, put it in numbers. I'd say if uh, OSU is running at a two speed, uh, UCF's running probably about six or seven, um, you know, on that scale or whatever you want to say out of 10, because they're, they're moving quick. Did you get gassed easily against Central Florida because of that tempo? Oh, yeah. I mean, at, at the, by the end of the game, yeah, we were pretty tired because you're just constantly going, going, going. And uh, finally get off the field and, uh, you know, running sideline to sideline and have people in man coverage and all this other stuff. You just – your legs die. So I was definitely um, tired by the end of that game. And now you won that game. You were one and one. Then you guys won three more in a row. And then you get to the Tulane game, which you ended up winning in overtime. And your 96-yard interception return, one of the national highlights of any game that weekend and, and possibly for the season. Can you kind of take us through that play as it unfolded and, and what you were seeing on the field? Yeah, um, it was a three-by-one set. Uh, I had trips to my right. We were on the goal line. We sent like a seven-man pressure. And uh, so we're zeroed up. And uh, I see a motion come out of the three and he comes squeezing across and he's really, he's getting closer and closer to the box. So I figured he was going to stop and do an out route. And uh, so I look back in and then I guess he ended up doing what's called a drag, like a, a, a radical underneath. And I saw that in the QB's eyes, saw the back kind of sneak through. So I was going to check him. And cause I knew no one would have him since he didn't flare out each side or uh our guys in a, what we call a pill wouldn't have them. So we, uh, so I kind of just sat back, uh, sat back a little bit and uh, I saw that QB's eyes. He threw it right to me. I just took off and uh, I was glad to, you know, score right there. And now you mentioned kind of the motion out of the three by one set. You thought he was going to run a certain route. Is that something that you guys had seen on film from Tulane and, and kind of something you were able to, to pick up on based off of film work? Yeah, but I, the, the route that he ran, that radical, is not what I was expecting to run, you know, because he has – because there's trips out there on the, on the wide, on the wide side. So, and whenever they motion in, you think he's going to do a quick out route, you know, towards the 
towards the place he just came from and do a rub route off of the guys. You know, they'll rub the cornerback and they'll hit him on that out route wide open. And usually, you know, you see that out of most NFL teams. They do that rub route in the close to the end zone and it's it's over with. I figure that's what they're going to do. And, you know, thank God they didn't. They did a radical underneath. And um, I was able to pick it. You played Cincinnati in the AAC conference title game. You lost a very close game to them. But the regular season game was postponed twice uh, because of COVID issues. Uh, did you kind of feel that you would have been better suited playing them, or playing them during the season? Or did you feel you were maybe behind the eight ball because playing them would have given you sort of an idea as to what they do offensively? Yeah, you definitely know, um, and you can figure out what their strong suits are if you play them. But uh, I think where we kind of got screwed over is, you know, they put it off, put it off, and then we're not able to play them. Now we don't know where the championship game is going to play since we didn't get to play in regular season. So they say, well, we're just going to play it at Cincinnati because they're ranked higher and they have a better a better record than us. We're like, well, that's kind of unfair. You know, they're supposed to at least play us to figure out whether they're going to uh, play at home or away. And, you know, it was kind of – it was just one of those deals where you, you felt kind of unfortunate, but that was out of our control. And we just had to go out there and play, which we did. We played well, lost by a field goal with three seconds. Um, we went down fighting, which is the only way, like, I'd like to go down. So I was pretty happy with uh, how the team turned out this year and how we stuck together through it all. Now, can I talk to me about that? Because, you know, some of the other players we've had on the show, you know, they talk about how – they didn't have the opportunity to, you know, do normal social things and things like that. And that created kind of a close knit, uh, tight atmosphere between everybody on the team, because it's more or less your only social circle. Um, is that something that you guys experienced at Tulsa? And, and would you say this season, you know, despite all the hiccups and the complications was one that kind of brought you guys closer as a team? Yeah, that's definitely one of the main reasons we had, uh, we had, you know, plus all the stuff that was going on in America uh, that time with the, uh, you know, systemic racism and stuff like that. We had, um, or systemic inequality. We had uh, a lot of reflection meetings that made us closer as a team, you know, where we get on the field and everyone that wanted to share their story and share how they felt about certain subjects, uh, they were able to share. And it was just one of those things where guys really wouldn't judge another based off their beliefs or how they believed. It was more of just learning, you know, um, if you are, come from a wealthy family you're at your side of aspects and you know and of stuff and if you come from this you know demographic stuff like that um so just things like that and that made us really close as a team because we all looked at it as a positive way we all knew we were trying to grow and we all knew that we weren't trying to be you know pushed apart so that helped us tremendously as a team uh practice was more you know it's more fun there was so much more that I think that the guys were fighting for this year. Um, you know, we're fighting as a team and not just for ourselves. So that was a, that was a big helper. Sounds like the rest of the country could, uh, could take some hints from, from the Tulsa football team, huh? Yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great deal that we had going on. Our coaches put it on for us. They're great people. Coach Monty, Coach Gillespie, Coach Fletcher. Now kind of sticking a little bit off the field here. What was your major at Tulsa? Uh, my major at Tulsa was exercise, sports science, pre-medicine. What, what goes into that? What, what is that like uh, physical therapy or? No. So pre-medicine is going to be like, a, you know, just traditional doctor. Really, you can do anything um, with doctor. You can become you can go into what's called osteopathic medicine or you can go into a um, doctor of medicine, which is MD or DO. Uh, 
and you can go into physical therapy with it too if you wanted but basically what it is is just an exercise sports science degree and then you have all these other classes put into it like uh okim one okim two biochem physics one physics two stuff like that thrown into it just to have the pre uh you know the prerequisites to get into uh you know medical school take the mcat and stuff like that have you graduated or how close are you to graduating yeah, no, I'm, I was only one semester away from getting my degree, um, but I felt like with the opportunity that I was, you know, handed and was being told from, you know, a lot of a lot of people, trustworthy people in my life, I felt like it was the best um, the best decision to, uh, you know, forego my NCAA eligibility and uh, you know go into the draft. Now, obviously, that's something, you know, for you to look forward to post-career, but were you able to use a lot of what you learned, you know, because a lot of that is like, you know, sports science in a way, were you able to use a lot of that to help you in, you know, your workout regimens and on the field and, and make yourself a better football player too? Um, we had a lot of people around us that helped. Um, the only thing that helped me do more was understand, you know, what the dietitian was trying to tell us what our, some of our strength coaches were trying to tell us, you know, it made sense to me. It, it makes more sense of whenever some guys feel like, man, this work is stupid, you know, it's really not helping us. And then he explains it in a certain way to me. And then you realize, you know, how he's trying to, trying to help you. Um, or the dietitian saying, you know, this is how this food's, uh, you know, transition throughout the body. Um, you know, this, it makes, you know, this much energy, this does this for you. Um, it uh, replenishes this. So it just helps you realize, you know, what helps and what doesn't. Now go back to football here. When did you start thinking about entering the draft? And for you, when was the final decision to declare actually made? Um, I started thinking about entering the draft, you know, probably about game four or five. Um, whenever I started getting just hounded by scouts, um, I started getting a, uh, a lot of feedback and uh i was having very high production in my games a lot of scouts in the stands uh so i i'd felt like man i think it might be my time to come out and then after the game our final game uh cincinnati i knew that i had a pretty good chance and i was ranked pretty high you know nationally um on what i was to uh, come out so the decision was pretty easy um, I talked to my family, my mom, my coaches, my friends. Everyone was like, you know, we understand. The team was like, we completely understand. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there were a few fans with Tulsa that were probably mad. But, uh, you know, I'm doing it for more than just a symbolic game. Uh, talking about Mississippi State, our bowl game. I'd have loved to have been there with my brothers. But I had to, you know, I was, I'm fighting for more than, than just that now. I, knowing the way things work, I'm sure you were also hounded by a lot of agents who uh, who wanted to bring you in and, and sign you as a client. Yeah, um, quite a bit, actually, you know, getting, you know, five to, you know, probably close to 20 DMs after every every um, game. And it was it was crazy. But uh, I made the right choice with uh, my agency. I'm very happy. Absolutely did. Now, you mentioned about, you know, wanting to go to the, uh, the Armed Forces Bowl, which you opted out of. I'm assuming that you watched the game, correct? Yeah, I went to the game. and uh, oh, I you was went in to the game. Suite. I apologize. Yeah, I was, in this, I was in a suite at the game. So I was up, uh, you know, at the club level 
um, hanging out up there. I got to ask you, what were your thoughts on what took place at the end of the game with, with that whole fight? Because that, that was just, Chris and I talked about it at length and we just found that to be that whole entire scene to be completely bizarre. Yeah, that it was a bizarre scene. You know, both teams are really chippy. Tulsa's a super chippy team. We always have been, uh, always fight with a chip on our shoulder. And then plus, you know, guys being the end of the season, a lot of testosterone built up, you know, they felt like, which I'm guessing on both sides felt like they have nothing to lose. But I know for our team, um, you know, we're not going to leave anyone high and dry out there, especially our brothers. So they all went in, uh, went in after it. And uh, it's just one of those deals. It happened. Nothing you can do about it now. <laughs> now, over your three years at Tulsa, who would you say was the toughest running back or tight end that you had to cover? And just overall, who was the toughest ball carrier that you went up against? Uh, one of the toughest, uh, you know, blocking tight ends we had would probably be Ethan Hall. He was, a, uh, you know, he always had dirt in his neck and he was always a hard nosed football player. He's a great dude as well. Um, country boy coming out of Bigs, Bigsby, Oklahoma. And then, you know, one of the toughest runners, um, all of them were tough. Uh, Corey Taylor was tough. Daenerys Prince, TK Wilkerson was tough, but I'd say, you know, probably Corey Taylor was probably one of the toughest runners. He's, you know, big. Thick body boy, and he he he's not afraid to you know run you over. Two quick questions now: What has the pre-draft process been like for you thus far? Yeah, so the pre-draft process for me is I got here in uh, early January, um, got to working out immediately, um, doing some just rehab on just typical after after season football body, and uh, got in with speed coach and just started working out immediately, um, getting you know, faster, stronger, eating right, uh, and just kind of hanging out at the house, playing the video game. That's basically it. So um, training every day, hours a day, and then, you know, moving on, you know, after about a month or so, really diving deep. And uh, we're having a ton of meetings. It's been, you know, you get home every day, just like this interview right now. After this, you know, I got meetings tonight and then meetings tomorrow, just meetings every day besides the weekends. So it's been pretty hectic, but it's it's a good a good type of stress. Now I'm assuming those meetings are, are Zoom type meetings, correct? Yeah, these are Zoom meetings with uh, NFL teams. You mentioned to me when we set this interview up that yesterday you had to do medical exams on Zoom. Can you describe what that process was like? Were you by yourself? Was there a, a physician in the room with you? A trainer in the room? What did they ask you? What did, what were they looking for? Yeah, so, so basically what happens is they get a report back from your athletic trainers during college about all the things that, you know, were that are wrong with you um, or happened to you. I had a very, like, you know, very low, low injury rate and stuff like that through college. I never got hurt or anything like that, which I was blessed to be. Never had to go under the knife or anything like that. Um, so basically they found some stuff, you know, that my athletic trainers had told them. They said, so what about this injury, like some shoulder stuff or whatever, just a long time ago, nothing major, just typical football stuff. Yeah, just, you know, sore. And then basically what they do is they just, you know, tell you to move back and squat down. And this is all over Zoom. There's not a physician in the room with you. This is in your house. They have you squat where they can see your hips and your lower body. Um, stand on your tippy toes and walk around and go up and down on your tippy toes. 
Um, you know, bend your arms forward, backwards, move your wrist, elbows, neck, side to side, forwards, backwards, um, bend back, bend forward, do all those things just to make sure, you know, you're not, you're not, uh, you know, hurting right now and to see how well you move. And then, you know, they like to ask to see if you had anything wrong with you. I knew a player who had something wrong with him. They were asking to see, you know, his hand or whatever. And that's some of the stuff that they do. So they weren't really weren't looking for. I'm assuming that you never had surgery, so they weren't looking to see any scars on your body at, at any of your joints, knees or shoulders. No, no. If I had surgery, they'd know about it because they get the full medical report from our athletic trainers. Anything that happened in college, they know exactly about. Um, you know, any medication and anything like that. Now we usually like to ask our guests to kind of self scout themselves a little bit, but I'm going to lead into this one a little bit here with you. Obviously, we discussed your weight earlier in the interview, and that's what linebackers often used to weigh. Uh, now, you know, last few years, often in the 230s, even the 220s, do you kind of view yourself as sort of a throwback player at the position? Yeah, um, I see a lot of people, you know, kind of do the throwback player, which I like. I'm old school like that anyways. I, um, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not 220. I'm not a 220 player. I'm 260, but I'm versatile. I can play in coverage, open field, um, play inside the box. Um, come off the edge if you need and that's some of this like the versatility for me and you know with my size is what really makes me um, you know I think stand out very instinctive when it comes to you know ball ball playing skills and stuff like that but uh, I've been blessed to be able to move with how big I am speaking of that have teams have there been a lot of three four uh, or teams that run three four defenses who've taught yeah. you or have they taught you about playing linebacker in a three, four? Yeah, they've, I've had teams with four threes reach me up. I've had some teams with three, fours hit me up. I've had a lot of teams hit me up, uh, you know, quite a, quite a bit, um, based on, you know, my, uh, my draft stock right now, there's a lot of things that can happen, uh, positive things that can happen for me. Now, what advantages do you feel like, your size and your style give you over, you know, a lot of the linebackers coming into the draft, you know, in, in recent years? Uh, you know, I'm rangy, very rangy, a lot larger, um, a lot lengthier than most linebackers as far as, you know, height and weight and arm length, um, you know, being able to uh, also move at this size. It helps me, you know, get around, you know, tackles and not be pushed, not be shoved. Uh, just kind of a, Like I said, it's it's been a blessing. Like all these things I'm able to do uh, have been just definitely a blessing from God. Now you mentioned your training before. Where are you currently training? I'm currently training in at Exos in Dallas. And when is when is Pro Day? Pro Day will be April second in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Do you have any particular marks or numbers or anything like that you're trying to hit? Any goals for Pro Day? Yeah, I want to try and hit a four or five on my 40. Um, and then for bench, I want to try and hit 25 on the rep. And then uh, sub seven on three cone, 36 inch vert. Those are kind of my goals right now. Pretty explosive and pretty terrific marks for a 260 pound linebacker. Two quick questions for me to end it up. Number one, I've, I've had you highly rated really throughout the process, much higher rated than uh, most other people. I've said in New York papers, I feel 
I really believe that you're a guy who uh, deserves to be a top 10 pick. But in my recent mock draft, I had you going number 17 to the Las Vegas Raiders. Have the Raiders, have you spoke with the Raiders at all? At all? Have they showed any interest in you? Yeah, they, they've reached out. I have a meeting coming up with them uh, pretty soon. So um, it'll be great. It'll be a great meeting. I love doing all these meetings, getting to talk to coaches and uh, meeting all of them. Final question for me. Chris and I are both from New York, which is where we're doing this podcast. You went to Tulsa. One of the most famous Tulsa football alumni played football here in New York, a guy by the name of Dennis Bird, uh, who was a tremendous story. He was a real good player, had some uh, had a bad injury on the field, which ended his career, so, you know, came back. It was a tremendous story. Unfortunately, lost his life in a car accident just a few years ago. Are you guys at Tulsa, are you aware of Dennis Bird? Are, are you aware of his story? Is, is there anything about Dennis Bird that's you know, spoken about in the football program these days? Yeah, we're aware. Um, I'm definitely aware of Dennis. Uh, you know, I remember hearing about that car accident. It was very tragic. Uh, we have a lot of stuff up about him, you know, in the weight room, in the facilities, um, as well as, as some other players like Steve Largent, Jerry Ostrowski. Um, just players like that. He played in Buffalo, New York. Jerry did at the Bills and uh, was a big success there. Um, but, yeah, Dennis, um, he was a great player for Tulsa. And uh, But as far as, you know, maybe um, in-depth, no, not really uh, about him. Now, Zayden, that's all we've got for you tonight. Thanks so much for joining the show, and best of luck to you as the draft process moves along here. We're in March right now, and hopefully we get to see your name called on that final Thursday night in April. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Um, I thank you guys for having me on. Um, it's been an honor. David, thank you so much. Uh, good luck on Pro Day. Uh, I know, uh, remember, draft day is just the beginning. It's not the ending. And, and, and as I've said time and time again, I, I firmly believe that two or three years down the road, people are going to be wondering why David Collins, if he's not a top 10 pick in April, wasn't a top 10 pick. Good luck moving forward, buddy. Yes, sir. Thank you. Now, before we sign off, we want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with the verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Now, Tony, just to quickly wrap up the show here, obviously really good interview with Zabin. Long interview too, so we won't take up too much of our listeners' time here, but what were your main impressions coming out of it? Smart, articulate guy. Obviously, he's got it all together, knows where he's headed in life. You know, and you brought it out very well. I mean, he is a throwback type of linebacker. He's the type of linebacker that in the 1980s and 1990s is a top five pick with his size, with his, uh, the ability to force the play up the field, his ability and coverage. 
He's just not what the NFL has been used to in the past couple of years. The Roquan Smith types, the guys that are six foot six, one, 225, 230 pounds and are great in pursuit. Collins is a complete linebacker. I mean, he's a guy, he said he's three, four teams are talking about him as are four, three teams. He's a three down defender. Again, I'll reiterate what I'm, what I told him at the end of the interview, I think he deserves to be a top 10 pick. I don't think he's going to be a top 10 pick, but I think two or three years down the line, people are going to wonder why he wasn't a top 10 pick. Yeah, I mean, if he hits that goal, he stated of running a four or five, uh, 260 pounds. I mean, most of the guys that, you know, you mentioned Roquan Smith and a lot of these other guys, you know, they're running low four fours, mid four fours at 225, 230, 235 pounds. I mean, you take half a 10th of a second and you add 25, 30 pounds. I mean, just basic, uh, basic physics there. I mean, the force is unbelievable. It's just the athletic ability. I mean, you know, this is, as you said, it's a guy, we don't see many guys like Zayvon Collins uh, physically entering the draft these days. You know, he's, you know, a unicorn in the true sense of the word, maybe not in the past, but then again, the bigger linebackers that used to come out weren't running four or fives. And, and he's more than just a big guy who plays football. You know, he told us he's a pre-med major. If you watch him on the field, he plays like a pre-med major. You know, he broke down that play against Tulane where he intercepted the pass and, uh, and, and ran it back 96 yards. I dare say 99% of the linebackers uh, that in college football that would have been, you know, relegated to that responsibility would not have been able to read the play the way Zaven did, would have maybe bit on the play action or made their way upfield and got caught out of position. You know, the way he described it, he diagnosed the action before it happened and rather than you know making a big play up the field remain disciplined with the responsibilities intercepted the pass ran 96 yards uh, down the field and you know it, it was a highlight that uh, will be played over and over again and that's the way he plays big tough but also smart athletic football yeah, and what impressed me about that, you said he diagnosed the play, but he diagnosed it wrong. And he adjusted on the fly, made a quick adjustment and made a play to win the game. So, I mean, just the instincts and the ability to come off your initial read like that, when you recognize quickly that it's wrong, you know, just something that you cannot teach and, and something that the film room cannot help you with. Like I said, he's a pre-med major off the field and he plays like a pre-med major on the field. And that's it for the 178th episode of The Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. Special thanks go out to Zayvon Collins for joining the show today. And we'll be back with more NFL draft coverage and likely another interview for all of you out there next week. Until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.